Welcome to Sportonomics, presented by Uncle Charlie. I'm Tyler Webb. And I'm Jake Kranz. And today, Jake, we'll be doing something a little different. I know we normally break down the biggest stories and topics of the week in sports business, but today I thought it would be fun if we answered some questions from the audience about what it's actually like to work in sports. So if you're here from TikTok, welcome. Jake and I do this podcast every Thursday, but for our day jobs, we are co-founders of a sports marketing agency called Uncle Charlie, where we work with clients in professional baseball, hockey, combat sports, collegiate rugby, soccer, and more. And we create, manage, and distribute all of our clients' social media content, but we also realize what we do is just one of the many ways that you can work in sports. So today, we'll, we're going to answer all of your questions. We'll be bringing on some of our friends who work as graphic designers in the NBA, social media managers in the NFL, videographers and photographers across major American sports leagues, and we'll even hear from a sports content creator that you've all probably heard of. So with that out of the way, let's get to our first question. And Jake, it's probably one of the most common ones I get, and that might just be indicative of the audience that I've been able to grow, but it's how do we start or how does somebody start, especially if they're in high school, getting into sports business? I'll let you take it away from there. Yeah, so I'll, I'll share my personal story. Um, and I, I feel like I'm the the odd duck in, in this one because I actually had no intention of getting into sports at all. Like, it, I, growing up, was not a, a quote-unquote sports guy. Like, I obviously played sports, but if you asked me, like, the starting pitcher of the Twins for that night, I would have had no idea <laughs> who the guy was. Um, I, I don't even know if I could name two starting pitchers for the Twins right now. I can only name one because one of them grew up in my hometown. And so I didn't really plan on doing it. I just kind of followed a path that, that led me to it, honestly. Okay. Um, and so when I was a freshman at the University of Minnesota, I was probably a total nuisance on LinkedIn, but... I got to know LinkedIn and I figured out that I could DM any, any person that went to my college and conveniently the University of Minnesota is one of the largest universities in all of North America. Mm. And so I had direct access into the entire alumni network and I sent off no fewer than a thousand DMs <laughs> over the course of like a month and a half. And I was sending it to all types of different people. So people in finance and accounting and um, just management and sales. Uh, and then one guy I had reached out to was a sports lawyer in the Twin Cities. And he was a co-founder of this thing called the Beauty League, which I was aware of as a hockey fan. I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. So I reached out to him and... He, his name is Josh Schaub, and we still work with him on a lot of different things, including the Beauty League now. But he's like, hey, uh, yeah, I'm happy to meet. Can you be here tomorrow at 2 o'clock? I'm like, yeah, I can, I can be there. I'm a college student. i got nothing else going on. So I took the light rail down to Capella Tower uh, in, in downtown Minneapolis. I had never been to downtown Minneapolis before by myself, and I had never really rode the light rail by myself before. So that was an interesting world that I was getting into and so I walked over to Capella Tower and when I got there I realized he never told me like what office he was in <laughs> and so I got there and there was a front desk and it was a huge building huge building and they had security at the front desk and like who are you here to see I'm like uh this guy Josh <laughs> and, and and they're like well where does he work I'm like oh he works in this law office they were like well we don't see them on here and I'm like well I I don't know he said this is where he works and so uh, it turned out that their offices were within the WeWork offices and so I went up to WeWork and I I just sat there and I sent him a DM and when I got there I was like hey I'm here if you if you're still wanting to to meet and so I met him and then um about two weeks later he sent me a, a email follow-up he's like hey do you know anything about Excel and at the time I was taking an Excel class at the U and it was really the first time I'd really like used Excel as a power user. Sure. And I was like, yeah, like I know everything about Excel. <laughs> and, and, and what I actually said was, you know, I'm taking a class right now and I'm learning a lot about it. And if there's something I don't know, I'm sure I can figure it out. And so, um, I, I did one project for him and that turned into like a summer long internship. And, and that's how I wandered into this mystical world of sports. That's awesome. There's a couple things I want to unpack there. The first being when you're reaching out to all these people, which is funny enough how you and I actually met, what was your 
messaging structure like? Because at the time you're a freshman, you probably didn't have a lot to offer somebody like a Josh Schaub in return. But what were you reaching out? Were you just asking to meet, you know, pick their brain? Like, yeah. what was the structure like? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think if 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 I were a college freshman, I'd do the exact same thing all over again. Like, I wish I was a college freshman to be able to do the exact same thing all over again. But the thing that I have to offer is curiosity um, into what they're doing. And I didn't know necessarily what questions to ask or what they did even. And so all I would say was, hey, I'm a freshman at the U. I saw you went to the U. Uh, I was wondering if I could learn more about what you're doing because I'm exploring the things that I want to do. And, you know, you, you send a thousand messages and maybe you get you get 100 people to respond and you actually set up a time with 25 or 50 of those people. But that's a pretty good um, data set for you to get a better understanding of the things that you're interested in. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially, you know, this question was centered around what to do in high school. I, I think the same point still stands. You could you could Absolutely. be in high school, look at your alumni yeah. network, you know what I mean? People that are from your hometown, like the same sentiment still stands where you're young, it's novel that you're reaching out because you're so young. And if you have any yeah. bit of like personal skills, I think you'll make an impact more than you probably think. Right. And, and, then, and then I think to, to give advice on the high school side of things, there's a ton of kids that are in high school that are, are really good. I'll use content creators as an example that are really good, like videographers and photographers. And what they've done is instead of like trying to do it at a professional level or the collegiate level, they're just like, Hey, um, can I, can I go shoot for our tennis team or for our football team? And that's how a lot of them get started. So, so there, there are in most cases, um, sports programs within the high school itself. And there is some way that you can get into it. Now, if, if I think about it, I, my, my first professional sports job was I was the uh, in, in arena PA announcer for our high school basketball team for my senior year. I did it with one of my one of my best friends and it was just a hoot. Like we didn't know what we were doing, but it was awesome. We had a ton of fun with it. And uh, I was a professional PA guy. Yeah, I think that's such a great point from a content creator's perspective. Like these high schools, you're going to have more access to who's ever running the, you know, the PA system or who's running stats or who's the person facilitating photos. Like it's not a hard ecosystem to break into being your, you know, high school basketball game, for instance. So if you're interested in shooting content, creating social media content around it, maybe you're interested in becoming a broadcaster, you know, maybe you're interested in working operations or ticket sales. Like these are things at the high school level that you have extreme access to. And as you scale up and get to college, like it becomes a little harder. It's not impossible, but it becomes a little bit more difficult. And obviously as you become a professional, we talk about these major professional sports leagues, it becomes even harder to get in the room. So I think looking for avenues that are the easiest to explore, especially early on is is super beneficial and there's no harm in just going and doing it. I, I always like to live by, especially early on when you're young and you can claim that you don't know any better, just ask for forgiveness and not for permission. And maybe you just show up to a game with a camera and you just start shooting video and shooting photo. And if somebody's like, Hey, what are you doing here? Who do you know here? Like, you know, as long as you're not being a douchebag and you're not being, you know, a jerk and messing anything up, I don't really think people are going to care. And so taking that initiative to go do it. And then the, the second part of that, I, this is where I think people probably separate themselves. Like there are probably plenty of people that get into shooting photo, shooting video at their high school sports games, but it's the ability to make connections beyond that that I think are super important. Jake, you and I have seen so many really talented content creators that just like lack this ability to make meaningful connections and to like really understand what people want. I think they're a little too focused on their craft sometimes, which is important. It's what they're getting paid for at the end of the day. But I think another part of what they're getting paid for that they don't often realize or what they're going to be hired for in the future that they don't often realize is their ability to help facilitate what a client wants without them even knowing it. And that takes an unreal amount of personability and selling skills and these sort of intangible soft skills that I don't think people really think they have to develop at such an early age. But if you do, it's going to set you worlds apart. For sure. And that's assuming that they want to be a freelance content creator. Sure. But I, I think but I think that plays it, it, for like... It, 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 yeah, it does. I think it that does. plays for anything. You know, like if, if you want to... Like people hire people that they like. And so if you're going to be a total sure. jerk off and you're going to be so like 
high and mighty about your work and you're like, my work's the best and I'm not taking any feedback or yeah. my work's the best. Well, and my I'm, work is the best. Right. That's fine to think that. But what I'm <laughs> saying is like, you know, be be open to, to making relationships and not completely burning bridges if, if something doesn't go your way. Um, one, for sure. One more thing I'll say on the topic. Sure. Like, I wish I could go back to high school for the sole reason that it would be so cool to build out a marketing infrastructure around your high school sports team the same way professional sports teams do like wouldn't like so awesome when you think about the ability when i think about the ability i probably had to do that and i wasn't even thinking about this kind of stuff in high school so maybe i can impart some of this on somebody who's still in high school but if you look at what professional sports teams do in terms of having a photographer videographer you know live content team there there, there are probably people at your school that are interested in doing that for for sports teams and you have the access again to do that at the high school level. And maybe you don't get paid for it right away. Maybe you could roll it in. You know, like it seems like every high school these days has some sort of like live TV production class. Um, I bet that could be folded into some sort of curriculum like that, where you go out and you essentially build a team that covers your high school sports team with game day graphics and lineup graphics and score graphics and live video highlights the same way your favorite NFL, MLB, NBA team gets covered. And there, there are a couple teams locally here, Jake. Like I think it's Lakeville South here in Minneapolis for the or Minnesota. They do a great job. They they have like what essentially is a professional looking like graphics team that makes matchup yeah. graphics. And it's like that's yeah. such a cool way to get involved and and what a cool way to build your portfolio. And and I think for a lot of schools who I assume don't already have something like that, it's such a great way to show your initiative. Like I'll take the I'll put my employer hat on right now. Like if somebody came to me and they're like, I want to work in sports. I'm like, okay, great. Everybody wants Good sports, for you. sports, right? Good for you. Yeah. But if you showed me like, hey, I went to my school, my high school football team, and we built out like this live social media coverage apparatus where I was organizing game day graphics. I was helping with social video and we were doing like live video updates. I'd be like, like, ho- holy crap, that's incredible. Like not only the output, which, you know, you can coach on output, right, Jake? Like we, we talk about this all the time. Like we can tell somebody or, or coach up somebody on like the best practices on social or how to crop a video, like that stuff's pretty menial in the in the long term. But their ability to take initiative and experiment with formats and just experiment with general concepts or th- the concept of even starting something like that would be super super impressive. And I think would be something that would set you apart. So I would I hope somebody can take that run with it because I, I do wish genuinely I could go back and if I were to start over do something like that in high school because the access that you have again is just like so unreal to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you want to go to the next question? Yeah, I think this parlays us nicely into, maybe we can talk a little bit about ourselves here, but the best major in college to pursue a career in sport. So I, I do want to yeah. I do want to preface this, Jake, with we're going to come at this from a like sports marketing background. And I do think a lot of people that are listening are, okay. are interested okay. in sports right. marketing. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying like for the people listening, what Jake and I are going to talk about through our personal experiences is going to be, you know, what led us into this career in which is inevitably sports marketing for the two of us. But you can work in- sure operations you could work in a front office you know you could work on the grounds crew like there are different ways to work in sports right but we're going to come at it from like a sports content you know marketing perspective um jake what what did you major in in college and, and was that with the intention of getting into sports you sort of teased it a little bit earlier no uh entrepreneurial management i was a i was a business major and i had no intention of getting into sports i, I was i was pre-med my freshman year and then i was in the business school at the same time and then I took a chemistry class and that did not go well mm-hmm. so I decided that that was not the path for me um but yeah I was out for real management and honestly like I think that a major is kind of overrated for for this conversation mm-hmm. um if, if I if I look at all the people that I know that currently work in sports and do it at a very high level um the proportion of them that are uh, sports-specific majors versus non-sports-specific majors is really interesting. There's more non-sports people that work in sports than there are sports people that work in sports and do it yeah. really, really well. I agree. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I've never taken a sports management class. It's obviously a very popular major for people who want to work in sports, right? I'll speak from a marketing perspective. We have never knowingly hired somebody that works in sports or majored in sports management to work in some sort of sports marketing Mm. role. And the fact that they went to college to study something that had sports on a diploma has had no impact whatsoever on how we view their ability to do their job. 
And I think what it has had. So I see that as a red flag. I see agree. That as a red flag. I agree. Yeah. And it's and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be because everybody's well intentioned when they're doing that. But I think it's a red flag for me because the people that go into that are interested in sports and not necessarily sports business. And that's not. It's not true. It's not true all the time. But I just I, that that's that's just my personal feeling. And it's the sports business world is really really difficult yeah especially the live sports side of things and so i just i see it as a red flag honestly it it does signal to me as well that you're just trying to work in sports and you don't really care where you end up you just like want to work in sports and when we work with people we want to hire somebody who's really good at what they do and they just so happen to be doing it in sports so like my encouragement to people and i come from a similar background to jake where i majored in entrepreneurial management which I'll admit is not any more specific or probably any more helpful for job prospects than sports you management. Majors though, right? Didn't you? Didn't yeah, I, I majored in marketing as well, and and I think sell yourself short. You 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 did twice as much schooling as. And I think part of that was I was interested in marketing, but I was like really, I really wanted to get good at the thing that I thought I was going to do. So maybe it ended up being in sports. Maybe it ended up being at a corporate gig. But I wanted to get really good at marketing, right? Or if. You know, if you want to work in sports, you want to work in sales, like maybe you go a finance or an accounting route, you know, like I would encourage you to get really good at the thing that you want to do in sports and not just throw yourselves into something that says sports because that's the industry you want to end up working in. I, I just, you know, and, and this could be different. Again, the reason I preface we're talking coming from a sports content angle is because there's a lot of different ways to work in sports. So take that with a grain of salt. But if you want to work in sports content, if you want to work in sports marketing, if I, I would even say if you want to, you know, work in a front office, like get really good at the thing it is your job is going to require from you. So whether it's a law degree, whether it's an accounting degree, whether it's a finance degree, whether it's a marketing degree, like really hone in on that skill. And I, I wouldn't even say, and Jake, you might agree with me that you even have to go to school or you have to have a degree in a certain thing to get good at it. As we just described, I think you can get really good at, especially something like marketing, sports marketing, doing a lot of work outside of what your traditional curriculum is. But you know, my main focus for you would be get really, really, really good at the thing that you actually want to do and just let your degree be like a, a nice shiny trophy to put on your shelf that signals to people that you're good at it. But don't re- don't rely on that to be the only thing that, you know, signals that you're, you're nobody's looking at it. Yeah. Nobody's right. Looking at it. I, yeah. I wouldn't even put it. I wouldn't even put it on a shelf. I'd put it in the drawer. OK, well, as mine sits on the shelf behind me, I'll, I'll beg to differ. But yeah, to, fair the, enough. To, the, to the yeah, to, to the you know college major part, I, I think that's also a really good note as you get into school and I just love the point that you made earlier, Jake, about reaching out to people, like take those four years, it'll, it'll be, you, you get to, you get the benefit of being a novel, fun, young, curious person for four years. Once you graduate, you kind of become annoying. I think on LinkedIn specifically, like people that reach out to you that aren't students are kind of like, what is this person's angle? What are they trying to get at? You get the benefit of the doubt when you're a college student and you're reaching out, especially to other people in the alumni network where you say, Hey, I'm just a young curious college kid looking to learn and that's going to be received a lot better in the four years you're in school so utilize that yeah and you don't yeah you don't even necessarily need to do it with people that you don't know i i, I feel more comfortable doing it that way i mm-hmm. like I, I i enjoy that process and just learning and exploring from people that i've never really met before because it's a whole new world out there for me some people might be, might be more comfortable with learning from somebody that they do know so somebody that is you might, you probably know somebody that works in sports. And so it might be like an uncle or an aunt or um, a friend of a friend or a family friend that your parents know, like that's a very good place to start. Uh, and then they might be able to introduce you to, to other people as well, as long as you treat them well and um, you're not annoying about it. Yeah. All right. Let's run to the next question from Alex. I think this transitions us, transitions us well as we graduate from school in our theoretical timeline. How realistic are someone's chances to work for a major sports franchise in various fields? So, Jake, I'm curious to hear your answer on this. There's a couple ways I think you can go, but just gut feeling, how realistic is it? Well, let's 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 reset expectations here. So I wouldn't be dead set on working for a major sports franchise. Mm. Um, there there are so many ways to be involved in the sports world and sports business that aren't in the major, uh, the, the major sports organizations. Um, I mean, you, you certainly can be, but, but you, you just look at, uh, you look at the valuations of, of, of sports teams and the reason why they are 
rapidly uh, accelerating going up into the right is because they are a scarce asset. Um, and that is uh, a true statement for the number of people that they have within their teams. And so it's really, really hard to work for an NBA team or an NFL team or Major League Baseball or soccer or hockey. Um, all of these organizations have limited assets and limited staff that they can have within their team. That said, there are thousands and thousands of companies that work in sports that support these organizations. Mm -hmm. And there are thousands of more companies that aren't even involved in live sports that um, are really fun and interesting and engaging to be a part of, even though you're not um, working in a super sexy organization like a professional hockey team. Um, I will say, uh, as sexy as they are, the harder work is in the live sports category. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it might be a little bit more enjoyable to be a service provider uh, for one of the, the the major sports teams or to just work in sports outside of live sports altogether. We ironically work in live sports and so we also work in non-live sports. So we, so we see the dichotomy and we know which ones are easier to manage and harder to manage. Yeah. Um, that doesn't say that one's less fun, but just things to consider. Sure. I have, I have two things on this. So as you talk about that, there are a lot of roles outside of the traditional you know, I'll call it social media manager for the Minnesota Vikings, right? That's kind of like a highly coveted position. Yeah. yeah. There's one of those. There's literally one of those. There's one. Maybe yeah. now there's two, two or three. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. less than 100 in the entire NFL, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. there are other ways, as you described, to work with uh, sports teams. I, I think there are some great initiatives that leagues are rolling out. Um, a lot of them call them live content creators. So let's say that you're a photographer, you're a videographer. We'll hear from one, one later on in this episode. You can essentially contract out with a league or with a team uh, on a game-by-game -game basis to shoot video. So you will hear from Jordan Lindell, who did this last season for the Minnesota Vikings. He got a field pass, sit on the field, shoot content for the NFL. They paid him kind of a shit hourly rate, but he got to add a lot of really high-quality NFL footage to his portfolio. And if he ever wanted to, he could probably take that to the Vikings and say, you know, hey, look at the stuff I'm capable of. Let me do this for you know, for your team, if you wanted to ever be hired as the Vikings videographer. I'm not sure if he does. I think another point I want to make here is if we scale back from the major four professional sports leagues and we look at minor league baseball, we work, Jake, in, in what was called independent, now partner league baseball. If you talk about lower level American soccer, like there's all these minor sports properties that are popping up and increasingly more and more people understand that the business of live sports, if you can capture it correctly, is like really lucrative as we see the values of these major four professional sports leagues grow exponentially. If you take a job at one of these lower level sports leagues, I'm sure the pay will be kind of crappy. I'm sure your hours will be kind of tough. If you're really passionate about getting into sports in the way that you might say you are, I would encourage you to look at these jobs, not as like a shit, it's a stepping stone that I got to get to the next spot, but your license to do basically whatever you want is going to be much higher. You know, like once you get to the NFL, the NFL social media managers are only allowed to post five or six live clips from their games because that's what the NFL allows them to do. They're not really allowed right. to be all that funny or witty or, you know, like stray outside of the norms of posting touchdowns and score graphics. So as you take some of these entry-level jobs, which I'm sure you will early on because the, you know, the, the major four leagues are just such highly coveted positions, use that as your ability to say, I'm going to go and develop my skills and, and go and test new things and be as creative as possible and use that sort of stuff where you can to set yourself apart. Because at the end of the day, I've heard it from people before, like these jobs get thousands of applicants with the same background. You know, they're all sports management majors or marketing majors. Mm -hmm. They all have basically the same experience. You know, they've probably worked for a lower level sports team. So like, where can you find yourself setting yourself apart? I think a great example is maybe you're running a page on your own. Like maybe you're running a sports highlight page that has a million followers on TikTok. Like that's a little differentiated, right? You, you've shown your ability to grow and create content. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's like, that's something maybe you've worked for one of these teams that everybody else has worked for, but yours saw huge growth because you were willing to go out on a limb on Instagram or go out on a limb on TikTok with some funny content. Like th that's something that can set yourself apart. So, you know, I, I wouldn't look at it as like, I got to do my, you know, take my steps to get to the big leagues because I think that is a part of it. But you know, I, I would look at those lower levels as your license to do the craziest shit that you want that's within your job description when you're there and use that to set yourself apart. Because understand that once you get to those major 
sports leagues and those those bigger positions that there's going to be thousands of people with applications just like yours. And so you're going to have to find two or three elements of your resume, of your cover letter, of your portfolio that are going to set yourself apart. Otherwise, you're just going to be drowned out in all the noise. Next question. Next question. <laughs> what kind of job should I look for to get my foot in the door? I, you know, I, I don't know if you have to spend a ton of time on this, Jake. I, th- I think what I just said, I feel like I feel good about yeah. <laughs> that applying to that. Honestly, I just, I just, I just hit a little command shift X on that. Let's skip that one because we just kind of talked over that. I mean, I, I talked about it earlier on with mm-hmm. uh, reaching out to a ton of different people. If you are you, if you're dead set on working in sports, instead of going based on a university, go based off of all the sports space and just find like a hundred people, a thousand people on LinkedIn and, and reach out to all of them. Just take your time, do it, take a month to do it. You'll have, like I did it during my, I'll call it a J term. We didn't have anything in January, but um, I had four weeks to do absolutely nothing. So I just sure. reached out to as many people as I could. Yeah. And, and I can't express how low the expectations are on most people. And I realized I probably came from a, a privileged position where now I, I didn't have to make a ton of money while in college and I just kind of accepted that I'd be taking out student loans. So it was like as much money as I needed to eat and pay my rent was about how much money I needed to make. That was maybe a grand a month. Um, and so the expectation for you to- raking it in. The expectation for you to- it in, jeez. Yeah, well, thank you. The, to make a bunch of money and be super successful and have your life figured out in college is really low. So use that as a blank sheet of paper to say, I'm gonna go try a bunch of new things and maybe do them for- free or below market value as a way to get your foot in the door. Because early on, you're not going to have the experience to set yourself apart. So the thing that will set you apart is your ability to work harder or work cheaper than somebody else. And I am never an advocate of working for free for a very long time. But if that's your way to get your foot in the door and show that you have value, and I don't think it's a matter of just showing up, doing the job that you're there for, and then leaving. I think it's showing that you can provide value beyond what it would be you'd even be getting paid for. So maybe it's like, yeah, I'll come and shoot photo for your event, but also I'll put together a nice little photo carousel for you to post on Instagram. Or I'll shoot a, I'll shoot photo for your event, but I'll turn it around quicker than anybody that you've ever seen turn it around. We just had an experience with that this past weekend, Jake, where this guy was like, I turn around pictures faster than than anybody. And that's what sets me apart. I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. That's what I, that's what I want to hear. And, you know, maybe- they live up to it? They he, live up to he it? He did live up to it. And it was like, yeah. oh, like that's, and he was a student. I'm like, that's Awesome. Like that's, I, he understands sort of what his value is in this, in this context. So it, it, for, from the perspective of getting your, getting your foot in the door, um, I wouldn't shy away from doing the work for free early on and showing your value. And then I think there is a certain point where if you're like, okay, they're kind of exploiting my willingness to do free labor, that's okay to walk away from that, but use it to build up a portfolio, use it to demonstrate your value, use it to go above and beyond. And that done enough times uh, is going to lead to something. I, I guarantee it. Okay. Next question, Jake, this one, we can rely on our own experience working or owning a sports marketing agency to answer. But the two questions are, what are employers looking for in terms of experience when they're hiring? And does uncle Charlie do internships? A question I get often. So Jake, I'm gonna let you run with that. Yep. So to start with the first one, uh, it depends on where you're at in your career arc. If we're assuming that everybody listening to this is an entry-level employee or still in college or still in high school, then nobody really has any experience <laughs> at that point. And so I think a lot of what Ty has said holds true. Um, if you if you have something that can differentiate yourself, whether it is a portfolio of content that you just went out and shot on your own or a page that you run or um, a research paper that you did in class like that, that stuff is really interesting at, at that stage in the game because you don't really have experience and nor does any, anybody else. Um, now, there are some outliers. Ty, I think you're definitely an outlier that you've been doing this since you were a teenager um, and, and in, in high school. And so, like, obviously you have a ton of background. The McFarlands are another good example. Like, they've been doing it since they were, like, 11. Yeah. So they have, like, 10, or 10, 10 years of experience and they're still in college, which is just ridiculous. But um, for the most part, nobody's going to have any experience, so you have to create it yourself. Uh, and then for the people that are like middle stage, I mean, you you need to have uh, a proven track record of your ability to do what you're coming in to do. Um, and I think just to generalize here, there are two types of people that an organization might hire. There is the nine to fiver, so somebody that is there that can 
make sure that the boxes are checked and the things are getting fulfilled on. And then there are the, um, I don't know if I want to call, we'll call them innovators, um, the five to niners maybe that are really there to push the envelope and uh, shake things up. And so you just need to know who you are, uh, what organization you might fit well into, and then make sure that you have the experience to back up what you're saying and have the, the, the knowledge to, to execute on the job really, really well once you get in there. Um, and then does Uncle Charlie do internships? Not really. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I, we, we found it a lot easier to just work, work with people either part-time or full-time. Um, it's, I don't know, maybe it's just personal preference, but I'd rather, I'd rather have somebody that knows what they're doing than, um, spend a ton of time training people up. And it's just a stage of the business that, that we're in right now together. Like we, we would have to spend a lot of time training, uh, the interns that we have, and we just don't have the capacity to, to do that. Um, now in the future, yeah, we probably will. And, and, and we get reached out to at least weekly, if not multiple times a week about people looking for internships and like continue to do that. That's a, a really great way to, um, to do it. I, I'd maybe take a little bit more of a novel approach to that. I'd say, I want to ask say, you about hey, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for an internship. Um, that that's actually really difficult from my perspective to deal with because I don't know, first of all, I don't know who you are. Right. Second of all. I don't know what you're, what you're wanting to do. So like, uh, so I'll, I'll give an example. We, we've had no fewer than five or 10 people reach out saying, Hey, um, looking for an internship would love to be involved. And my, I, I respond right away. I try to respond as fast as I can. I say, Hey, like, that's great. What do you want to do? And they're like, well, I'm open to anything. Like we'd just love to help out that, that puts the burden on me to figure out mm. what the heck I want to do with you. And then what I want to do with you is just get you off my mind as fast as possible because I, I don't have the, the, the the brain capacity to try to figure out uh, the full scope of work of an intern that I didn't even plan on, on having. So right. novel approach. Um, I would, I would either go in and say, Hey, um, would love to just learn more about what you do. Uh, I'm, I'm at this stage in the game, really curious about it. And then, then your foot's in the door and then you can, you can figure out where we're struggling and where we might be able to help out. And then you can sure. say, Hey, like I heard, I heard you guys might be looking for something here. Um, the, the other, the other thing you can do is be very, very specific. You could mm-hmm. say, Hey, looking for an internship. Um, I think I could help by doing X, Y, Z because of, because of the way that you guys have this thing set up. Um, that makes it a much easier answer for me because it's either yes or no, instead of, uh, me having to think about it and then put together some notes on how you'd want to be involved and then going from there. So that's, that's how it works in my brain. In most cases, every once in a while, there's somebody that just reaches out at the right time. Um, I like we, we had somebody from the beauty league actually that reached out through the website and they're like, Hey, I'm just looking for things to do. I'm like, by chance, do you know how to do this? Sure. And then they're like, yeah, it's I already on your mind. Analytics. Yeah, yeah. So it was already on my mind. So, so, um, I mean, every, every rule has an exception, but and think in general that those are my thoughts on that. Yeah. I also think there's a lot of people that reach out and don't fully know what we do. And it, that can be a little frustrating sometimes. Like they'll reach out to your point, Jake, and be like, I just want to help. And it's, it's kind of the same vibe of like, I just want to work in sports. And they just saw that we're a sports marketing agency. They have no idea yeah. the kind of clients we work with, the kind of work that we do. To your point, they, they don't really know where our pain points are or seem to have no interest in trying to figure them out. And so it's like, it doesn't feel like a very personal outreach or like you really care to work with us. And again, you're putting the onus on us to figure out what to do with you and to make you fit. And that and then that's not our responsibility at this point. It's kind of, you got to come to us with, I, I love your example of like, it's not hard to figure out what it is we do. We have a website. We list all of our clients on the website. You could do your research and go to our clients' socials and see the kind of work we do for them and, and maybe provide your feedback in that way. But it's a big, I, I've gotten that a lot recently where it's like people will reach out and they have no clue what it is we do. They think we represent creators. They think we represent athletes. Like it's like take five extra seconds and figure it out and personalize your outreach a little bit and, and maybe you'll have a bit more success. Um, I, I want to go back to experience people, you know, people are looking for. I think that the same way sports are competitive on the field or on the court, they're hyper competitive off the field and in, you know, the social or the the marketing or the sales that any of these teams have to do. And for you to be, as you described earlier, Jake, a nine to fiver to go to a sports team and punch the clock, you, you got to get out of that set of expectations. That's that's not going to be what working in sports. Oh, yeah. 
I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish. Okay, I'll let you yeah. finish. specifically live sports. And, and what I'm trying to get at here is not that you have to work these obscene hours, you have to work way more than what you're getting paid for, but I think there does have to be an element to you where you're looking to innovate and you're not looking to just do the same old thing because this that's how the same old thing has always been done. And I'll use a very specific example. You brought up the McFarlands, um, two twins that we currently work with. and um, Identical twins. Identical twins in a part-time capacity. They help us produce this show and they work on a bunch of other client work with us. And I was introduced to Ryan because he actually reached out to him because there was a, a football theme page that had tagged itself as being run out of Minneapolis, which was where I was being run out of. And I was running a, a football Instagram theme page as well at the time. And so I shot a DM and I said, you know, hey, love the content. It was, you know, cool formatted content, really well maintained page and, you know, a cool brand identity on what is kind of a, you know, commoditized style of page at this point. And I reached out and he's like, oh, thanks. And we just kind of built a relationship over DM. Um, and I had asked him if he was ever looking for extra work outside of the theme page. And he was willing to say yes at basically every turn and, and willing to you know bring on kinds of work that he probably had never done before. And along the way, brought a lot of really great expertise that he had built up, as you talk about, like since he was 12 years old, running what I now learned to be like Vine pages and then you know, YouTube pages and Instagram pages and Twitter pages. Like he took the initiative to gain himself experience all along the way. And then when the moment came to start getting paid for that experience, which again, just happened out of a random DM, he was again, willing to say yes, learn about how to do it. And then was able to apply the skills that he had taught himself to what then was work that he was getting paid to do. And it was early on, very outside of the scope of like working on a football theme page. It was like working in like very professional, like corporatized style of, of, of social media, but he was willing to say yes and innovate his way through it. And that's one thing that I've always appreciated about Ryan and now Aaron, where they don't just say yes and do the work and, you know, get paid to do the work as social media managers, whatever the role is, but they're also willing to bring new formats and new ways of thinking. And, and they're constantly learning outside of just a job that they're doing. And that really is awesome for us as bosses, because for one, it means that we don't have to be the ones that always disseminate the creative ideas. Now, that's one thing that I worry about as an employer oftentimes, where if I'm not thinking about how to creatively innovate, then creative innovation isn't getting done. So to be an employee or to be somebody that works for somebody or works for an organization that's willing to take the initiative to innovate creatively is super, super important because it takes the onus off the person above you and lets them know that they can trust you, that they can give you more responsibility, that they can one day pay you more, maybe promote you in whatever role you're hoping to get. That's a huge deal. And then just taking experience that hopefully you've been able to acquire for yourself. If you haven't taken anything away from this point forward is that you should be doing things outside of what your current job is that look like what you want your future job to be. And then take those learnings as soon as you're able to apply them and apply them to your job and let them push you forward. So I think just taking that initiative, given how competitive sports are and how competitive the sports workforce is, um, your ability to apply learnings that happen outside of your current job and, and use them to propel you forward, I think is, is super, super important. I totally agree. I totally agree. So what do we got for the next question here? Is, oh, is, Willie, is Will Stone coming on? So Will Stone is going to hop on. A uh, little primer on Will, somebody who works with us, a, g- a good friend of both of ours at this point. Uh, he's the, currently a graphic designer for the Memphis Grizzlies. But oh, the thrill. Will, Will the thrill. Also has worked Will, in- William yep. Willard. Thank you. Okay. Fredo. Yep. Okay. Um, okay. King Will, the best. Well, he's also worked uh, as content <laughs> as a content lead for 23 Racing, which is Bubba Wallace's uh, racing company. I um, previously worked at East Carolina University as a content lead as well. So he's he's been a well-traveled start, got his start in the Nebraska Huskers graph department. So he, he's been well-traveled between college and professional athletics of, of all kinds. And he will be coming on to answer what's something about working in sports that you can't expect. Willie? One thing that I didn't expect working in sports is just how married together your mental health is with how your team or organization is performing on the field, on the court, whatever. Um, I worked for teams that I never had any rooting interest in before. I thought, I'm just going to go do my job. But really, as the season goes and it ebbs and flows, you see um, how things are going away from work kind of tie in with those because you just kind of subconsciously get it. And then on the flip side of that, it's been funny to step into my current role where I worked for the team that I rooted for as a child and thinking that I was going to be fully invested in everything they were doing. I was going to watch all the games or go to all of them. Even if I wasn't working, I would be there. And I probably wound up going to like three or four games last year that I didn't have to be at. 
and I watched even fewer of the road games. And it's just interesting to see kind of how you um, step into that and how you choose to prioritize your time and so on from there. All right. Thank you, Will. Jake, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I totally agree with Willie. Um, I, I, as I mentioned, not a super big sports fan before I got into working in sports, but now I'm extremely passionate about every single brand that we work with and eat, sleep, breathe everything that they do. And so if they're performing well, um, I'm a little bit happier. And if they're not performing well, uh, from like an on, on field perspective, um, or just like a business perspective, like it definitely has a, a hit on morale within that that portion of my brain. So, um, yeah, it, hard to agree with what, what Will said there. Or yeah, hard to disagree with it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I I do think that from a business perspective, and I'll, you can take from a marketing perspective, like it's important not to tie your whole identity as a person into how stuff is performing online. You know, from Will's perspective, that's like not taking feedback on his graphics personally, I'm sure is something that he's had to struggle with because when you, you know, when somebody's either critiquing your work or you put it out into the world and it's not performing as well as you think it should perform, it's really easy to, to like internalize that and say me as a person, you know, I'm not like, I'm not good at what I do or the, the thing I do is not valuable. And I, I think you will spend a lot of time working in sports as, as we've now discussed, like it'll kind of consume your life in a way that's maybe a little unhealthy anyways. But to then also tie up your identity in the work that you put out is is really, really unhealthy. Um, I've had it described to me once as, you know, if somebody doesn't see the value in the thing that you're doing, think about it as you're wearing a really nice designer sweater. And sometimes designer clothing can be conceived as ugly or too expensive or not worth it. But if it's the sweater's cool to you and if it's valuable to you, then that's all it should be. And you shouldn't go around trying to explain away to people that, this sweater is cool or this sweater is valuable. And the people that know about that kind of sweater will see the value in it and will come to appreciate it. And you should be focusing more on what those people who know about the sweater say anyways than you know what the dissenters who have no idea and critique the sweater will say. So uh, the whole analogy is to say like, you should understand internally that your work has value. And when people on the outside that really have no business in giving you feedback and you know have no background knowledge on what it is you do or maybe no expertise in the industry that you work in and they give you feedback, you should take that to a lesser degree than somebody who knows what they're talking about. And hopefully you work in a space that you get good collaborative feedback and you get compliments when you deserve compliments and you get pushback when you deserve pushback. But to tie your whole identity up in the work that you do can can be really unhealthy. And to Will's point, like even the the play on the field of your favorite team, you, know, you, you shouldn't wrap your whole identity into you know what that means about you as a person. Deal. I will use this argument the next time I wear something that is not very fashion forward. <laughs> You'll say, I see value in the sweater, and therefore the I sweater is good. That. And I will keep this receipt. <laughs> okay, good. Well, we're going to kick it to another MBA designer. I didn't mean to be so MBA designer heavy, but I thought Will had some good experience in other areas to to speak to, to it. But Thomas Northcutt, who is a recent guest on our episode, of course, a graphic designer for the Brooklyn Nets, answers the question, what's a skill that helps you at your job that you wish you had known sooner? So we'll kick it to Thomas. The one thing I wish I had known earlier in my career is exactly how valuable it is to be a Swiss army knife and not only limit yourself to one skill, but have a whole bunch of skills that you're good at. Early on into my career, I really limited myself in what I learned. I really stuck to Photoshop and nothing else. And that really hurt me for a long time. There was a lot of chances I missed out on because I wasn't good at logo design, or illustration or things like that. And that's just because I didn't give myself the opportunity to learn new things. I thought I only needed the one. I should have expanded. And expanding my skill set is the most beneficial thing that I have done in my entire career. And it's the one thing I recommend to anybody who's in a similar position to me. Expand your skill set and don't just narrow your focus on one specific thing. All right. Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate that. I also appreciate it. Nobody's going to see the video of this. But the fact that you have a clip-on mic attached to a ballpoint pen for the recording of, yeah. of your audio. If you, if you want to see it, was, yeah, you got to go to this TikTok because he records all of his videos like that now, and I, I do appreciate the pen microphone. Just a goaded strategy right there. Um, and, and I totally agree. Like uh, Being a Swiss Army Knife is is uh, extremely important, especially at the, um, the in, in the organizations that don't have as many resources or as much capital 
Um, and, and it's interesting that, that Thomas brings it up and he works for one of the largest sports organizations in the world, Brooklyn Nets, um, and he needs to be a Swiss Army knife. And so oftentimes when you're working with a really small team, maybe it's for a, um, a, a lower level league, uh, tier two, tier, tier three league, like you need to be able to be creative and figure things out on your own. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with everything that he said. Yeah, I think it's especially important too. If you ever have ambitions of managing people or becoming a rank sure. above a graph designer, it is important that you can speak to, and we've heard this before, you can speak to what other people do. So if you if you end up managing a creative team that shoots video, shoots photo, does graph design, does social media management, well, you have to be competent enough to have conversations in each of those areas. So saying, I'm going to hone in on my craft as a graph designer sort of pigeonholes you in a way to only being a designer for the rest of your life. And if you ever had hopes of becoming somebody who manages other people that are creative, then you damn well better know what they do and how to, you know, how to speak to what it is they do, even if it's on a really high level. Right. And maybe that's okay. Like maybe you just want to be a graphic designer, totally. but I yeah. think the argument still holds true though. Like the one really good way to be a better graphic designer is to better understand all the other things around graphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're able to do that, you'll just strengthen the thing that you want to spend your time doing and you'll just be better at it. Yeah. And, and Thomas talks about this in our episode with him, but like that's where he draws a lot of inspiration to become a better designer is learning skills in after effects or learning skills in in photo or in premiere rather like it enables him to be more creative in the thing that he does uh i also think as we move forward in like you know a marketing sense all these things will become a lot more blended you know like some like at this point Graph design can be considered like social media management because you, you have to be thinking about the end distribution when you're designing the thing. So to be able to be competent in another area like, you know, social media algorithms and distribution is really important as, as a designer because those things are so interlinked or, or similarly, like being a photographer and understanding elements of graph design are super important because a lot of times that's where your work is going to funnel into is into a graph design concept. So, you know, understanding that you don't exist in a silo, I, I think is, is super important. And, and as you described, Jake, like, we're talking about one of the top 100 largest sports organizations with probably some of the uh, the most amount of resources in the entire world. Now you scale that back to a minor league baseball team and you're somebody that has to do the photo, do the video, do the content. That's going to make you so, so, so valuable. And as we describe in an industry that's super competitive, that's going to sort of build a moat around your ability to you know, leverage yourself for a better salary prevent yourself from getting fired. Like if you can ingratiate yourself so deeply into an organization where you can do so many things, it's going to make you a lot harder to get extracted from that organization because you've allowed your roots to spread around to, to everything. For sure. Next question. Next question comes from Jordan Lindell. We teased Jordan earlier. He uh, is a freelance videographer, although he has done work for um, a brand on YouTube, one of my favorite golf channels called Random Golf. Um, he goes around to all these incredible golf courses, like we're talking like Pebble Beach, San Andrews level golf courses to shoot content for them. He also this last season worked as a live content creator in LCC for the Minnesota Vikings, which is a program that's run by the NFL, where they hire local videography and photography talent to be on the field, shoot content, and then send it directly to their league page. So instead of the NFL having to work through the teams to get on-field content, which is really smart. They contract out their own employees, their own workers to send them content directly. So Jordan spent a bulk of last season at every, you know, Vikings home game shooting content of, of some of your favorite players, a lot of stuff that you've probably seen. So we're going to kick it to Jordan and he's going to answer how you create time and have enough creative energy for both your work work and for your personal projects. I simply will look at my calendar um, specifically during periods when I'm pretty burnt out and I will just make an effort to, to schedule some time, um, to work on personal projects and they go hand in hand because the personal projects that I, you know, choose to work on are stuff that's creatively inspiring to me. So anytime I'm not, you know, feeling particularly excited about the work that I've been doing for the past month or week or whatever, um, that's typically when I'll, I'll take time to schedule out those personal projects um, or at least, you know, do something that's creatively inspiring to me just to kind of get those creative juices flowing again. So, um, like I said, luckily, I think it's a little bit easier for me because I am full-time um, freelance to be able to, to take time to do those things. But um, the other thing I would say too is like, 
if you are freelance, try to pick areas to work in that are inspiring to you. Um, I know a lot of the corporate work that I do, it's, you know, it pays well, but it's not necessarily the most creatively inspiring. So to be able to have the balance of being able to work in sports with, you know, golf and the NFL, like that, that to me is just everything. So, um, find that good balance and then, uh, just be able to, to say no to some, um, other freelance work whenever you need to. Jordan's just the best. Jordan is the best. <laughs> We're, that's, 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 that's the open coming back into this thing. Jordan, Jordan is the best. I saw him, um, I saw him on Monday, maybe Tuesday. So I'm on Tuesday and he's just, he's just the greatest. And I, I, Jordan, if you're listening to this, don't know if you will, not sure if you're a podcast guy. Um, I'm coming for your job, man. That's, that's <laughs> all it is. It's plain and simple. I've been teasing him that I've been, that I'm going to be doing that. I, in no way should or ever will come for Jordan Mundell's job, nor would I ever have the, uh, the skill or the know-how to pull it off because he's just an incredibly talented creator um, and a really great videographer. But I borrowed some equipment from him, and so I told him, "Hey, like, <laughs> it's almost over, yeah, and I'm I'm coming for you." Um, but I, I I appreciated his 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 methodology. He he's a really um, thoughtful and and cerebral person. So the the this doesn't surprise me at all that he spends mm-hmm. his time. Um, thinking about how to create time to work on the things that are going to spark his his creative juices and allow him to be better both on the personal side and then also on like just like the the business side when he's working on his project so it doesn't doesn't surprise me at all um for me personally all this stuff is blended together like other things that I do are so connected to to my work that my personal projects are also my my work projects and so like when I when I get super excited about something, it's normally related to something connected to the business um, in some way. Like, I guess outside of it, it's just more so like hobbies. I, I'd call them. They're not. Sure. They're not personal creative projects by any means. Like playing a guitar might be a, a hobby that I do, but it's not something I'm. I would consider a project. But thinking about a different business or a, a, a crazy strategy that that might work, like that's super interesting to me. And I think that's personal work that gets blended into. Uh, the the work work um so that's that's how i think about it how do, how do you think about it because you, you yeah. spend a lot of, you spend way more of your time on the creative side than i do sure I, I think for me i needed to find different ways to represent myself personally like i couldn't just be in this mode all the time of being a creator that would be too draining and to be in that mindset 100 percent of the time would just like produce worse work on aggregate and so like one kind of silly example is I coach a high school baseball team and I I coach a baseball team over the summer like that for two hours on most days allows me to be a completely different person in a lot of ways than the normal like content creator agency co-owner that I normally am and it allows me to go to like a different part of my brain like if you think about like left brain right brain like it allows me to completely exit for a couple hours a day the side of the brain that I'm normally thinking on and just be present in a completely different context and I, I I love like pulling myself out and like oftentimes it'll rear itself in frustration like I'll be you know in the middle of something I'm like I gotta go to baseball practice or oh I gotta go to a game but for those two hours I'm not thinking of anything other than who should I be subbing in which pitcher should go in next like what goofy thing is this high school kid saying to me and that's super recharging because again uses a completely different side of my brain and to a more specific work context like I'll pull back the curtain on guys like Thomas and guys like Will you know Thomas has started creating videos on TikTok and I'm sure that is using a different part of his creative brain than being a graphic designer normally does. Will obviously works for the Grizzlies, but also works for us on a lot of freelance projects. And that allows him, I'm sure he would say, to work on projects that are a little bit more specific to some other areas of interest that he doesn't normally get to the chance to develop. Um, Jordan explained it really, really well. He obviously has the luxury as a, as a full-time freelancer to do this, but when he's getting bored with some of the work he's doing, he can make a hard pivot and say, okay, for the next week, I'm just going to work on something that's very specifically creative and personally fulfilling. And he, he's able to make that pivot as a freelancer, of course. But it, I, I think it's just a matter of like putting yourself in situations that allow you to express yourself differently. And whether that is in a creative way, you know, Thomas goes from video to, to craft design or Jordan goes from corporate work to, you know, sports or personal work. Or for me, it's going from, you know, being a creative thinker, 
co-agency owner to being a baseball coach. Like these are all ways that you can represent yourselves in different ways. And I think getting in those, you know, getting in those flows is one super recharging, you know, to me again, like I, I need to take some time off. I, I can't be so creative, go, go, go all the time. Like there, there needs to be time for me to think and breathe and like, you know, relax. I, I consider that all a part of my creative process. And, um, you know, to be able to do that is super important, but also to expose yourself to other people that you're not normally with. Like Jake, if you and I just sat on the phone and talked all day, every day, I probably would not get as many outside influences and ideas and little thoughts and like that, that I do, you know, dealing with high schoolers or that I do like dealing with very, great, very frustrated with me. Well, I mean, no, Jake, I, I love talking to you, <laughs> it, but it's, you know, you, you know, you know what I mean? Like we would like get caught up in this little like bubble of, you know, being co-agency owners, or if I only talk to content creators, we'd be caught up in this little bubble of only talking about content creator stuff. So it's great to pull inspiration from other areas. And that's why I love our episode with Thomas when he talks about looking at magazines or looking at architecture, like stuff that's completely off the wall, not related. But if you are able to draw one little nugget and get recharged from that, um, yeah, it's going to you know pay dividends down the line. Absolutely. Um, let's go to the next question here. So th- this is, this is going to be all you. I'm going to have uh, no influence on this conversation at all. Okay. I know Jack Settleman was going to be a part of this one. So if you want to tee it up. Yeah. So, so Jack Settleman is the, uh, the co-founder of, uh, an agency himself, uh, Snapback Sports. And obviously a lot of you probably know him through his, his own Snapchat shows or, or social presence. Uh, he's a sports content creator. I, I wanted to include him here because there's, there are a lot of people asking questions basically about how to grow their own brand. I think a lot of what we said earlier, Jake, people have come to more intuitively understand like, Hey, if I want to work in sports one, there's other avenues to do it. I don't just need to be a social media manager for a sports team. I can be a sports content creator, but it's also a great way to build your portfolio to one day be a, you know, social media manager for a sports team is to build your own uh, personal brand on online. So a lot of people were asking about how to grow that. And Jack Settleman was kind enough to answer. The question was, how would I go about growing my social channels if my goal was to work in sports? My question back would be, what type of work within sports? For example, if my goal was to be a talent in sports, I would build my social channels with me as the talent. But here's a unique perspective. If my goal was just to be a producer for a podcast in sports, I would create content around creating and producing podcasts. So I would do behind the scenes content. I would do equipment content. Essentially, I want to make it so I have a couple thousand followers, but those followers are actually centered around what I want to do. So how would I do that? I would first attack once again by what I'm trying to do. If it's content, then I would do short form content to begin with. Then I would expand to long form content on YouTube. There's no growth hacking. Quality content is going to win. So that's the tip I'm going to give you. All right. Thank you, Jack. Jake, a couple things to unpack here. I mean, what what is your take on this idea of like creating a brand for yourself? You know, when you maybe talk about it as an agency owner, like when you see somebody doing that, what does that indicate to you? And is it important, do you think, for somebody to get a job in sports? Well, it's. I mean, important is a, a tough argument. It is one path to doing it. Sure. Um, like, like you, you can be the best uh, in in arena host in the world and not have a social following at all. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can build yourself up by way of social. And, and I think like one of the biggest advantages that social media has brought to our world is like it has placed the onus on the individual or the organization to um, build their own brand as opposed to relying on the major media outlets to cover them in some capacity. And so in a, in a world where the ball is in your court to promote yourself and showcase what you do and prove to others that you are the best of what you do and, and try to continue to, to grow and develop in that area, like probably a good, a good argument to be made around, around doing that. And I mean, Look at what we're doing right now. It's kind of, it's what we're trying to do right now. So, right. Yeah. I'll, I'll speak more specifically to like how to grow. I, I think Jack put it well when he said there's no growth hacks. I, I, I do think that's true. Like you think about all the content that's being uploaded these days, you, millions and millions of hours a day of content being uploaded on the internet. So you figure that if somebody's going to have a quote unquote hack to figure out how to grow, probably is going to be done by now. You're probably not going to be the one to figure it out. So 
your attention is better served on how you can create the best content the, and the most differentiated content. The McFarlands already figured it out. So the McFarlane, yeah, don't even, yeah, don't even waste your time. Aaron trying. Ryan are already ahead of you. Yeah, exactly. But you're like, I so I'll use a very specific example. My younger brother plays baseball at Central Michigan, and he was interested in creating content around being a baseball player at Central Michigan. And he just started posting this week. Already had a couple videos, like get you know one. His first video got like over a hundred thousand views. A couple cents have gotten you know twenty thousand plus views, and. He's probably not going to listen to this. I don't think his content is like particularly like the best edited, even like the most like compelling voiceover. Like he's still trying to find that voice, but his differentiating factor is the fact that he's a Division One baseball player at a mid-major university. And when you look through the comments, a lot of people are really interested in that being their life, right? That's like a really aspirational sure. life. And so he's like again, he's not the he's shooting on his iPhone. He's got a twenty dollars microphone. Most of the time, the clips are you know other people shooting the content for him, but he's able to differentiate himself purely based on the fact that he has a life that is what most people would consider to be aspirational. And he's doing just a really good job showing that. And I'm sure as he figures out his, his personality and his voice and the kind of content he creates, that's going to expand exponentially. But for people that are trying to create, like if you're, I see this a lot, like I see like broadcasters, like play-by-play guys trying to like be on social media. And there's a couple that do it really well. And the reason they're able to do it well is because they're able to display in a really unique way like how their life is different than a lot of other people's or specifically a lot of other play-by-play broadcasters. You know, for me, it's like, it was hard early on to differentiate myself because I was trying to create content around like sport, like around business and marketing. And there's a lot of business and marketing content on the internet. So my way to differentiate myself was talking about sports and niching down and, and speaking more to my interest into the things that I was doing on a daily basis. And so I got out of this flow of or out of this like current of like people doing trying to do the same thing which is talk about social media marketing like so saturated at this point that I was able to you know hammer down and and talk about my specific area of interest and expertise and that's what I would encourage a lot of people to do like take whatever it is you do like at the core I do marketing on a daily basis but there's too much marketing content so how can you make that more specific or unique or differentiated um, to what it is you do and I will say I think there's a lot of I'll speak specifically the short form content now there are a lot of like base level things I think you need to check off to make good content. Like I think your audio needs to be good. Your video needs to be good. You have to have a good hook. Um, you have to like have this base level of editing to your videos to make it watchable. But once you pass that threshold, which I think a lot of people can learn in about a week, then it's up to you to have really good ideas or really compelling personality. Um, and the last thing I'll say on this is to that personality point, like I don't think you should be c- trying to compete on personality early on as you're creating content. Um, you think you're compelling. A lot of people will not think you're compelling and you need to earn the, the trust and goodwill of people that will hopefully be following you to show what your personality is like even more. I'll, I'll use my brother as an example. Again, he can't just say here, you know, I, I'm, here's like a, here's my outfit that I'm wearing today. Like people don't care. Like they're like, who is this guy? Why should I care about what he's wearing? Um, who is this guy? Why should I care about what kind of bat he uses? You know what I mean? So he has to build up credibility doing like day in the lifestyle videos doing you know videos of him playing like he's going to build a a certain base of people who just will care about what he does because he is a d1 baseball player and in earning that goodwill it'll allow himself to then later on compete on personality you know i I look at myself the same way like my first couple videos that sucked i'm getting reminders of them now on tiktok they're about a year ago were what my life was like running a marketing agency and a lot of people probably came across that and said I bet this guy doesn't even run a marketing agency or how, how good is this marketing agency even, or, you know, and the videos didn't do well because people weren't bought in or had no reason to be bought in. And it was only until I was talking about things, you know, ideas that people could grab onto that people started caring about things I was doing outside of just the ideas I was, I was catching on to. So that's a long way way of saying you got to compete on ideas first. And once you compete on ideas and do it really well and build up a, a base of people that might care about what you have to say, then you can start competing on your personality and and being a you know an individualized person. But um, you know, I'd really focus on what are those ideas that I can make go viral. And once you've figured out a way to do that, a methodology to do that, a consistent way that you're able to do that, then you can start honing in on what it is that makes you unique. So you can stop competing on just a hook or just an idea. Sweet. Uh, last question is: Any other advice? I got nothing. Uh, don't eat yellow snow. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I got I got nothing. I hope maybe maybe Jake, we can just like summarize our our biggest takeaways from this. For me, it is 
there's a lot of benefit in taking initiative outside of what it is you do. You could be working a nine to five desk job and want to get into sports eventually. And there are steps that you can take while in that nine to five desk job, you know, outside of your hours of, of working that can move you closer to working in sports. And so don't think that you have to be working in sports to progress your career in sports. There's always steps that you can be taking outside of a job in sports to get you to where you want to be. Yeah, my, my biggest takeaway is pretty much the same thing. Like, I think that it, life in general is about willing the things you want to happen into existence. And if you want to be a, a graphic designer for a, a major sports organization or you want to be the GM of a sports league, ridiculously hard to do. But every year there's a new GM that gets hired by some sports team and they had that goal at some point too to become the GM of a certain organization and they did it too. So if it's in sports or, or really anything anything else, um, it's, it's all about just figuring out exactly what you want to do and then trying to do it by any means necessary. Awesome. Even if that means reaching out to people on LinkedIn in the thousands. That did happen. That did happen. Seriously did happen. And that, yeah. I mean, it's, that, to be fair, that is the beginning of the, uh, the, the Willow Creek turned Uncle Charlie journey and how we ended up meeting each other too. I think I just reached out to you cold on LinkedIn, Ty. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it also goes to show, it, I'll, I'll share the abbreviated version of the story, which is Jake and I were both freelancing at the time after graduating, meaning we didn't have real nine to five jobs. And I was posting a lot of content on social media about social media, primarily on LinkedIn about like, you know, client successes or, you know, my recent discoveries into in, in the world of social media marketing. And that was enough. Maybe the content wasn't compelling, but th that was enough to signal to people that I was working in social media. I was opening to do mo doing more work in social media. And that's what signaled Jake to, you know, reach out to me. And, and you know what the actual signal was? There's a book on the shelf behind you uh, called The Messy Middle. Mm. And you put out a piece of content about that because we were in the same class. I had no idea who you were. Yeah. And apparently we were in the same class. It might have been a different, different class period. We might have been in the same room together. I have no idea. But I saw you put it out. I was like, oh, that guy's kind of doing something cool. And then I just it just, just put it in the tickler file. Uh, Love and it. then uh, one, one thing led to another, and there we were. That's awesome. Well, I hope you guys took something away. Thank you to Jordan, Jack, Thomas, and Will for sharing your expertise. Jake, we might have to do another one of these again. We see, I seem to have a pretty good response on um, TikTok, at least, of, of people you know, being interested in this kind of life. So so hopefully we, we could shed some light on, on what it's actually like and maybe there's a part two sometime sure. around the corner. Sure. Yeah, we should have we should have uh, we should have people submit their questions via audio. Um, that would be awesome. Cool. Yeah, that would be sweet. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well maybe next time. In the meantime, yeah. we'll be back next week with more in sports and business. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thank you to Aaron and Ryan McFarland for being so awesome and for producing this episode. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>